Let's just lift our hands, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for the purpose of God. Thank you for what you want to do. Thank you for what you want to do in this room. Thank you for the angel of revelation sent here as an aid to salvation. Father, I need your help. Without you, I can't do anything, but with you, I can do all things. Anoint my mouth, my ears to hear. Thank you for all the gifts of the Spirit being operation. Thank you that this word is going forth on good soil producing 30, 60, and 100 full return. Get the maximum return out of what you want to say. Open up your word to us. Let it be like those two disciples on the road that walked with you, that their hearts burned as you opened the word to them. Open your precious word to us. Thank you for uh, allowing us to be in the earth during this time that your name would be glorified, that your name would be glorified. I declare, Father, that it would be like Hebrews 2, verse 9, that that we would see Jesus and a little lower than the angels and crowned unto glory. And thank you, because the one who sanctifies identifies with those being sanctified. Thank you, because you're not ashamed to identify with every person in this room. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, yeah, I got real Pentecostal here. Amen. Before I begin today, I, I just want to tell you that every person in this room is valuable. You're born, so you're valuable. And you're really, 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 really loved by God. I don't know why, but I just felt like that was, someone needed to hear that. So... We're, discuss, or we talk, we're talking some and we're celebrating the 110th anniversary of what God did here uh, in this small town in North Carolina, Dunn, North Carolina. And I just want to pull a few things out here this afternoon. And it, here's an important principle. When God acts in history, it's with intent and purpose. When God acts in history, it is with intent and purpose. And I like to define things because they actually mean things. Intent is to have a directed and a firmly directed intention and purpose is intended or desired result. When God acts and when God even put, this is the, you know, God's pretty amazing. (laughs) It's amazing like that two people who might have hated each other might have conceived you, but God goes, I'm going to put you in the earth for such a time as this and whatever they're doing, you've been purposed to be in the earth however you got here. You ever notice that? God's not intimidated by people who make lots of mistakes. It's never like, it's like I don't know what I can do with them. It's totally over. I, Jesus forgot to work on that one on the cross. So when God acts in history, there's always an intent and purpose. God did not just arbitrarily create the universe. He had a very specific intent. God, uh, uh, this is also important though, Two, not everything done in the name of God or by the people of God is God. That's created a lot of confusion in the world. But he always has an intention. But not everything done in the name of God or by the people of God is the will of God. I'll give you an example. I believe it was God's desire to give Israel kings. I don't believe it was his desire to give Israel a king in the season that he gave him Saul. I believe it was God's desire to birth a reformation through Luther, even though that wasn't his best intent. His best intent was glory to glory, faith to faith. No dead periods. But a a difficulty happened, so the Protestant Reformation happened. I believe God raised up Luther. I don't believe God ordained everything Luther said. He had an understanding. It's by faith alone. He didn't have much understanding about, you know, burning Jewish people. He got a little ISIS in his theology. One of the, and so we know, I've made this point, God acts in history with intent and purposes. One of the purposes of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to fulfill the commission given in Genesis 1 and Matthew 28. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, iPads, iPhones, Androids, 
Blackberry, if you're behind. <laughs> Everyone in South Africa has blackberries. Acts chapter 1, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. A little before that, Jesus has already told his disciples, and we'll read it, that they are to go because he has won the authority, they are to go into the nations and make disciples of all nations. And so, b- before they try and go and do that, and I, and I, excuse me, I always want to emphasize how impossible that commission seemed in the moment that it was given. But because he went to the cross, everything became possible. Well, a number of reasons. Because he went to the cross and because he said it, made it possible to do it. Which is, this is really fascinating. God's really fascinating. He speaks everything to us in seed form, but if we'll receive it, it has the power for us to do everything he told us to do. You might be in these meetings. He goes, I want you to do this. I want you to switch this. I'm, you're having this encounter. You're going to go to this nation. You're like, that's impossible. This is, this is not, I don't, you know, I don't even have a passport, blah, 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 all this stuff. But because he spoke it to you, if you'll receive it by faith, it comes inside as a seed. And that seed, if it shapes the way you think and the way you react and the way you steward, it will fulfill everything it said. Amen. That's a good word right there. <laughs> Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the empowerment, obviously, was for the purpose of being a witness that God intended. It's amazing that the the multifaceted purposes of God, in their fellowship with God, because they're walking with Jesus, he goes, hey, before you try and do that Great Commission thing, don't leave Jerusalem. And and, and I'm telling you not to leave Jerusalem, because you're going to receive an empowerment to fulfill that word. In, encounter becomes a place of, of empowerment to fulfill everything God's called you to do. That's why the enemy fights it so strong. So the commission to the church that God... The, 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 this is really important. Well, I think everything I'm saying is important because I told myself... <laughs> the commission given to the church that God is building is to disciple nations. Really, really important. Genesis 1. I believe to understand Matthew 28, you have to understand, uh, excuse me, yeah, uh, to, it's a long day. Ma- to understand Matthew 28, you have to understand it within the context of Genesis 1. Here's Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Side note, which is really, really fascinating. I kind of noticed this the other day. It's this. God creates, and he calls it work, and then he makes man in his image, so he's expecting you to create too. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed to itself. To you it shall be food, and also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth earth in which there is life, I have given you green herb for food, and it was. So God never took that commission away from humanity. And so Jesus actually says this in Luke 19.10, and I think this is important to understand the heart of God. I'm certainly not suggesting everything I'm saying is the complete heart of God. I, I just 
what I, it's just what I know. I'm told to tell you so I can help myself and help you. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. I believe that's a key phrase that Jesus said in his earthly ministry because how many know that when Adam sinned, God was not like, what are we going to do? And he was not surprised by it. Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And I think that's important to pull out because it wasn't like God going, man, how am I going to get this planet back? How many of you know God, devil, they're not opposites? Some people think they are, they're not. God doesn't even have to think about the devil and he's done. It would be shorter than that UFC fight last night. If you saw it, you can watch it in about a minute be back here. So when Jesus is saying, Jesus, I came to seek and save that which was lost because he gave the earth as a place for man to extend his dominion because out of love, Adam had the choice of what he was going to do as stewardship of the earth. So he's coming back to restore the stewardship he desired to give to humanity. I don't have time to fully develop it. I know there's a lot of tensions in what I'm saying, but Matthew 28. So when he goes to the cross, he says this. When the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I am telling you, God has a sense of humor. All these guys were supposed to be the closest to him, and they have all failed the final exam of the Jesus Christ School of Ministry. Except John. They all scatter. And then he rises from the dead and he's standing in front of them and they're saying, look what the Lord has done. And they're going, is it him? Looks like him, I'm not sure. So these are not guys who've been praying in the Holy Ghost and fasting with Lou. They've gone back to fishing. They're not contending for anything. And then Jesus has the audacity to say, all authority has been, and, and notice in Luke 4, before I finish reading that, notice in Luke 4, he said, all these kingdoms of the world are mine, and Jesus does not challenge him on that point, because he wasn't lying. He had legal right to it. That's a, good for your life, too. He's a defeated foe, but where you come into alignment with, he has legal access to that place. You can shout victory all you want, but unless you renounce your alignment with him, he will stay in that place. And let me just tell you, you I don't know why I'm saying, you don't want to mess with anything in this world. Some of you are like, ah, just take me out of church, he'll take me out of my ministry. No, if he could, he'd destroy you tomorrow. He doesn't just like come, you know, like and take like half of your room. He wants to come and take you over. I've noticed it. People who don't want to forgive. First it starts as unforgiveness. I've forgiven. <laughs> Looks like you have. You sound really healthy to me. And then if they don't cooperate with the grace of God. Notice I said don't cooperate because sometimes you really need supernatural help to forgive. And I'm not diminishing what anyone did to you. A year or two down the line, it becomes a root of bitterness. And you can see it in their face. And everything about that situation defines how they live because now he's taking up legal residence. I don't know why I said that. So forgive. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's good news because now that means you have authority in two dimensions. Make disciples doesn't say just get people saved of all nations, bringing them in the name, uh, baptizing, excuse me, bringing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's why John Kilpatrick says he doesn't fly, because he said, lo. 
you got to be a little funny with the afternoon group. So he gives us the commission to actually disciple nations. God's evaluation of the church that he is building will not be according to the works which we do, but according to the, the commission that he gave us. Really important. He doesn't judge you or the body by what we did, but by what he called us to do. So if you're in Africa helping orphans, but you're supposed to be an accountant and done, raising a family, you're not getting judged for helping orphans, you're getting judged for what he called you to do. Same is true with the church. Just because we get people saved, good things, good stuff, that's good. Not saying that's good, you need to get saved to get into the kingdom and disciple nations. But if we stop there, then we haven't done what God called us to do. Number of times over the years, I've heard the Lord say this. He said, my goal is not, to f is not to fill the church with people, but to fill the world with the knowledge of God. Amen. Told me about four years ago, going into the year, he said, I still have one unanswered prayer, but it will be answered, and it's that my kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 25, verse 31 when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on a throne of his glory. 32. All the nations will be gathered and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He is judging nations there because he gave us commission to disciple nations. And he's a really righteous judge. Paul seems to indicate that there not only be a judging of nations, but individual people. Because he said 2 Corinthians 5, verse I like to, verses I like to read over and over again. We will all stand before him on that day. You'll be judged. And you know what? Can't blame anyone else that day. It's a good thing to live with. It's not, not a bad thing. Like, I, I've kind of jokingly thought in this mind, like... I can't stand before Jesus and go, you didn't tell me. And Jesus go, oh, my bad. Forgot to tell you that in 2004. We'll take that on us. Skip down here just for the sake of time. Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to him, more surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. What's really fascinating there is obviously our belief system is always supposed to find expression. And it's also an understanding into this. God cannot fulfill his purpose in the earth without our eyes, our ears, our hands, and our mouth. The enemy doesn't cheat on anyone without somebody's help. The enemy doesn't cheat on anyone's taxes. The enemy doesn't destroy without people's alignment. Same thing with God. He needs divine alignment in the earth. I'll define dis, uh, dis, de, de, uh, de, discipling nations here. Disciple means to shape or fashion or mold or talk or coach, model, instruct, train, mentor, educate, and I like this one, transform. Love what Ed Silvoso, uh, you know, famous propagator of this understanding. In the case of a nation, it means to impact its life so it will conform to a set of specific values and develop corresponding behaviors. Now, it should be said in this context of this discussion, nations have been repeatedly discipled. It's just who will disciple those nations? It's not... It's, it's not if somebody's going to do it. It's already being done. Romans discipled nations by conquering nations and imposing Pax Ramona. Lenin and his followers uh, discipled in Russia and the Soviet Union by molding a regimented and all-encompassing way of lives of millions with communist philosophy. What's amazing to me is 
many uh, humanistic, worldly, demonic thinkers understand the power of a thought process. I've been to Russia, and what's amazing to me is, or any communist country, so to speak, I love, I love going to Russia. What's amazing to me is you can take out the system, but unless you take out the way of thinking, people are still bound. Ayatollah Khomeini, he was militant Muslims taking over nations and discipling them. It's fascinating that, that Lewis had all these children because one of the strategies of Muslims to disciple nations, so to speak, is to have a bunch of kids. I've heard a guy say, we don't need to, we don't need to have violent takeover. We'll just have a bunch of kids and take over your government, take over your school boards. Before you know it, we'll control everything. They're doing it. Fidel Castro, my dad escaped from Cuba in 1969, made this statement. And what's amazing is most of revolutions in any nations, most of them have been communism that we've observed. Obviously here we have the American Revolution Castro didn't just come in and take over, but he found a group of men, guerrillas, willing to go with him, willing to die, if need be, die to, uh, to enforce their cause of revolution. And the first, the first uh, attack he came in on to Cuba, uh, most of them just about died. They about lost everything, but they were willing to give everything to the cause of revolution. But he was able to maintain one little piece of the island and from that place, he found a radio signal where he began to release his thoughts, his ideology, and began to gain followers through what? Media. Another side note. Most of those guys who were still alive by the time he came to power, he killed them. It's, really, it's a really good system if you're in charge. <laughs> so the Lord began to give the body of Christ, I believe, understanding. And may, probably many of you have heard this, but I just felt like I just wanted to uh, give some understanding to it. 1975, Bill Bright, the founder of Camp Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, they have lunch together. God simultaneously had told them, uh, told, told them the same message. And during the time, also Francis Schaeffer. The message was that if they were to impact a nation for Jesus, then they would have to affect the seven spheres of society. Those seven spheres, are, uh, they broke them down in this way. Business, government, media, arts, entertainment, education, family, and religion. A month later, God showed Francis Schaeffer the same thing. What's the Bible say? Two and three witness, something is established. Correct thinking produces what God intends. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So I want to look at some belief systems that I believe that are incorrect, correct, incorrect paradigms that often force believers to think incorrectly and will, will have caused us to lose, at least in this nation, a generation. Here's the first one. A belief that participating in the world system is evil. A belief that participating in the world system is evil. There's a story that Lauren Cunningham writes about in his book, The Book That Changed the World. And it's a, I, I encourage you, it's, it's a great read. I couldn't get enough of it. I read it two or three times. So I'm so fascinated by it. And basically, it's about the power of the Bible to transform society. And he, there's a story in there of someone coming to a village, and they had never heard the word of God. And all they did was start reading the Bible and they just started saying, it was like for the first time we heard life. And all they're doing is reading scripture. But he tells an account 
I, I don't remember, I don't think I have the, the date in there, but he tells an account where at one time, Hollywood producers and leading Hollywood producers wrote letters to the president of Christian colleges. And they said, send us your brightest, send us your best, send them because we, we, we want their influence to, to help make movies that we produce. And I want to tell you, I'm certainly not an expert, but I've gone around the world and American movies are everywhere you look. They're really cheap in some places too. And the response of these presidents, these heads of uh, these colleges and universities, they said, we'd rather our kids go to hell than to work for you. So America went to hell. Can you imagine the influence that believers could have had in producing media and things that go around the world? Remember the first time I went to Brazil, had an afternoon off, and they said, would you like to go to the movies? I said, what am I going to watch a movie in Portuguese? They said, oh, no, every movie here is in English. Second belief that I believe God is shifting, a belief that those called into full-time ministry are the most chosen or spiritual in the body of Christ. Said a minute ago about God saying that the universe was, was his work. See it over and over again in the Psalms. He puts man in a garden and then he lets the trees grow because man is supposed to manage the growth of the trees. Whether you know it or not, God is the original environmentalist. That's why it's a distorted version, you know, like worship the earth, you know. <laughs> no, take care of the earth. So every person in this room, whether you're called to be a doctor, lawyer, entrepreneur, homemaker, real estate, it's time for the body of Christ to buy stuff. That's a side note. <laughs> but everyone here can have a significant influence. It's interesting because uh, Lewis told me yesterday, he said, I'm believing for a Daniel company. And I've been reading Daniel over and over again. And one of the things I noticed that before they go into Babylon, they came out of a family. The point being is, these are young teenage boys. They must have been taught how to operate in a system but not violate their conscience and what God had told them to do in the family. Third, you okay? It's 3.45. I'll land the plane soon. Individual salvation. Here's another, I believe, mindset that needs to shift. Individual salvation is the most important value of the gospel. Subpoint a belief that if we just get everyone saved in the city and do miracles, it would fix all the world's problems. I believe that a true representation of the gospel must begin. I believe every person in this room must learn how to hear the voice, walk by, walk by the voice of God, prophesy, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. That's what you should have said amen to that. I mean, that's what you're called to do. Your eyes were supposed to be the eyes of God. Your ears were created to hear the voice of God, to have visions, dreams, encounters with God. You are meant to, to, to go around the world, not even leave your living room. But just because we do those things doesn't mean the world changes. Here's an example. They say 80% south of the Sahara in Africa will be evangelized. Yet, by the, end, by the turn of the century, it would still have poverty, disease, violence, corruption, and injustice at every turn. And it has 30 or 40 of the poorest countries in the region. Something's wrong with that thinking. If a whole nation is being evangelized, but society is not benefiting, there's an issue. The Lord spoke to me a number of years ago. He said, whether or not, and I think we are going to see mass habits, but whether or not there is uh, every, uh, uh, a whole city turns to God, there should be a benefit because of the believers there. Can I just tell you something? 
instead of talking on the phone at work about the Bible, why don't you be the Bible? Please show up on time. Please be the best employee. Take authority over the place that you live. Some companies, your company may be going down and you may be the only solution because you have the favor of God upon you. Refuse to engage the dialogue. I felt it the other day. I walk in the bank. This lady turns around. And she goes, this is the worst bank in Fayetteville. <laughs> I said, well, I come here all the time. It's not too bad. You know. <laughs> I felt that thing from the world tries to get you to align with it. You're supposed to be a nonconformist. Sometimes they'll say, oh, we're going to be delayed, and you'll hear the guy go, it's like Delta's always late. Delta's never late for me. It's always on time. It always gets my bags. So sometimes I'll say to the person next to me, I say, I got favor of God. We're leaving on time. Whatever, we leave on time. Because you're supposed to be, you should live with the consciousness of the God who's called you to every place that you set your foot to, he's given you. Here's a final one. Well, two final ones on this. A worldview that focuses on the return of Jesus above his command to occupy till he comes. I'm not saying it's wrong to study eschatology. But I am saying is to be obsessed with a bunch of charts above doing the assignment that God gave you, there's a real issue. There must be a fruit of the position you have. Let me just also say this. For whatever reason, most people have a tendency to believe that the time period that they live in is like the worst to be alive. Because they only judge history by, the, by, the, by just the moment that they're in. I've had people tell me, the church has never been this bad. No, it was, it was bad a long time ago. I'm glad I don't live during that time. You'd go to church and the priest wouldn't even look at you and it wasn't tongues that they were singing. It was Latin. And they thought it was offensive to put a Bible in your hands. How could we put the Bible in the hands of a common person? Luther said, I became dangerous when they let me read the Bible. That's bad. 400 years where God doesn't talk, like, I'm out. Like, what are those people going to look like in heaven? It's like the twilight zone, those people. God didn't speak, you know. Even worse, sometimes people celebrate tragic events as a sign that Jesus is coming. Oh, Lord, Jesus' end times were coming because Obama got elected twice. No, I'm serious. Send some people into... And he hasn't done some good things. Things that I agree with. But I'm, I, I wasn't mailing it in. God's bigger than President Obama. And it's actually, in my opinion, just partially, not the whole story, it's an indictment of the church. It's an indictment of the church that we think we just have to fast and pray and vote in who we think should go in. Instead of raising up young people who believe that they can be a Daniel... This final one, a failure to think multi-generationally. You have to think beyond the day that you're living in. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and our children's children forever that we may do all the words of the law. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's not just money. 
It's understanding. It's wisdom. It's so jealous of some of these young people. They were like born during Toronto. They don't know, they don't know life without revival. That's a good way to live. Here's some, future, some keys I think that the Lord would give us to move into our future. Do you have time for more? <laughs> I was going to go anyway, but I just thought I'd be nice about it. <laughs> it's probably a bad question. Here's one, and this is certainly not exhaustive. A church built and led by apostles and prophets. He himself, this is Jesus. If Jesus gave these gifts to the church, then we need them. What we don't need is commercialized apostles. Because that, that keeps, I don't know, listen, when the body of Christ comes to understand certain things, it's like we go nuts with it. And so some people have been turned away from true scripture because they've seen false representations. But it doesn't take out the truth of it. Like people get divorced every day. Have we stopped getting married? This is what Jesus gave to the church. And if Jesus gave to the church, we need it in our lives and for our benefit. And he himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man, the cunning craftiness, and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. Another really important aspect of, and and in Scripture Paul writes later, that the church is built on the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Here's why it's really important to have an apostolic grace in a local community that God is building because the, the principalities and powers and those things that need, need to be defeated, they, do not recognize, they don't recognize people who are not sent. And one of the marks of apostolic ministry is not, not it doesn't make everyone an apostle, but coming into relationship and coming into connection with that actually and, and, and being released by that actually gives you the authority to govern in particular places. Here's second thought. Here's another important part. True apostles in apostolic ministry are committed to following the word of the Lord no matter what. True. And you can be a true apostle and still not be committed to following the word of the Lord. We can no longer afford to have things that God wants to do be stopped by committees and administrators. You see this in Acts, the fourth chapter, where they don't stop because persecution comes. They go to the place of prayer and ask God to strengthen them because the persecution came. They didn't have a five-fold meeting and go, hey, guys, what do you think? Maybe we can do like this. We can maybe invite people to, like, to, to John's house, and then that's what we'll do the healings. We won't do the healings out in front of everyone, and it'll just, you know, maybe that, that'll make people happy, and then, you know, they can come in, and, and then in the small group, we'll do the gifts of the Spirit thing. Part of the people of God and part of the corporate gathering, it doesn't, doesn't mean we always have to have this, but, but is it a prophetic expression to the earth? It shouldn't necessarily make sense to somebody who comes off the street. 
The other part about that is we cannot lower the water temperature to soothe somebody's intellect because intellect won't keep them saved and won't keep them standing in the counsel of the Lord when things get difficult. If you talk them into God but give them a latte, they can be talked out of God when the demon's standing in front of them trying to take their family. I don't know why I said that made me feel so good though. It's true. We've had, we've had in, people are serving a God they have an idea about, not a God who they have an encounter with. Number three, worship and prayer at the center of a culture of a kingdom. We were created to live fascinated with God. If you have issue with something in your life, if you're struggling with an addiction or something, it's probably because it's taking the place of an area of your life that's supposed to be fascinated with God. No shame, no blame, no guilt. Find somebody who can help you get set free. Break that condemnation soft. Break that lie that you're the only one going through it. That's just a lie of the enemy to keep you isolated. Look at all these people around. They all had stuff in their life. Lots of stuff. I know. <laughs> Break free of that thing that you're the only one. Find someone who gets you free. Amen. Don't believe that Christian propaganda. You know, you're perfectly whole the moment you got saved. That's a demon speaking, trying to keep you from getting set free. Not that you're looking for demons, not advocating that. But he's a spirit of truth, and he'll show you where you're aligned in the wrong place. Man, I said a lot of stuff I didn't expect to say. Number three, culture of the kingdom. Jesus offers humanity not only a new life, but a new way of life. That new way of life is the kingdom of God. Notice he said, teaching, to, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. What did he teach? He taught the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God was completely different from this Babylonian system. It was completely different from man trying to make its way in this world. But it had all the application to the earth that we live in. Kingdom of God, king's domain, also God's way of doing things. I'm constantly asking God, where, where's, am I thinking correctly about this? Am I seeing something incorrectly about this? What, what is the key that will unlock it? And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Like, does it make any sense? The walls are completely shut in this city, so let's march around for seven days. On the seventh day, we're going to march around seven days, and then we're going to get the city. Good plan, God. Here's another thing about equipping people. We must read, study, and develop communion with the Holy Spirit that teaches us how to see the world from God's perspective. We must look at Scripture through the lens of not only individual salvation, but, the, but, 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 but through the concept of building a nation. Let me stop here. When I say building a nation, I'm not talking about like this corporate takeover of the body of Christ. I think that's weird. Like, I, I, don't, I don't, like, believe in this Augustine idea of, hey, let's, let's you know, get, get a born-again president. You know, you, you must be born again or else you're going to jail. Not in, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a witness in the earth that has never before been displayed in every part of society. That when, you, when people walk into a business, when people walk into a school, they go, that's a believer, that's a believer, that's a believer. There's a difference. Those people are nuts. You know, it really doesn't matter all that stuff. I've just noticed they might think you're nuts, but when something goes wrong, they'll ask you what, what you need help with. If you have results, you're not weird. If you're shouting in tongues, but you can't demonstrate what you believe, that's weird. Sorry. Just helping you. It's not weird. It's just not practical. The kingdom of God is practical. Okay. Oh, I have a whole lot more. <laughs> Everyone's like, be quiet to the guy, the one guy. <laughs> I'm just going to mention these and then we'll, I, I, I do need to share this thing at the end. 
Here's some kingdom keys that I see in Scripture, but here's some of the fruit that I believe God wants to give us. Number one, a massive harvest. In the early church, they, in, in the 30-year span, they grew from 120 to 100,000. 200% growth, and it wasn't because it was a new church in the city. They say something less than 3% of churches ever grow over 620. But one of the marks of the early church was massive and increased harvest. Just read one verse, Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord grew and mightily prevailed. Act, uh, I'll read two, I lied. Then the word of the Lord spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests were obedient. Here's a second mark of the people of God. It should be mentioned because it's in the Bible. They were persecuted. But they were persecuted because they did what God told them to do. Like I got people telling me, like, I'm being persecuted. I said, no, you're just not a nice person. You have an entitlement mentality that you use Scripture to justify. That's not persecution. It's, I don't know, I'm just, Help me, Jesus. (laughs) But they were persecuted because they were doing what Jesus called them to do. Not because they were demanding things, just because they showed up. Gets even better, though. They were accused of filling the city with the doctrine of Jesus. I'm praying for a group of people who will be accused of filling their city with the doctrine of Jesus. Acts 5. And then this is really, really good. Whole cities came under the influence of the gospel. Acts 8, verse 8. There was great joy in the city. Acts 13, 44. On the Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And Paul, in his church planning, he did not go to villages. He went to large cities. So this is not a small place. It's not five people showing up. Can you imagine 9,000 people in Dunn coming to hear what is God saying? It's even better. Acts 14, verse 4. The people were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. May we preach a message that actually causes some confrontation. It's amazing to me, uh, whatever, I'm unfiltered today. It's amazing to me that Jesus cast out demons. Now we want to make people comfortable in their demons when they come to church. But he was absolute love. It wasn't mean. And I'm going to close with this. I said, I just talked part about the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I so resonated with some of the things said here because, again, the Lord emphasized this to me again. We live in a time of exceeding outpouring in the nations of the earth. In my opinion, we live in the greatest time to be alive. And this is what I felt like the Lord spoke to me in this last week. The greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit will not be at the conception of the church, but rather in its final hour. God intended the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit to not only transform individuals, but to transform nations. Don't ever regret and don't ever um, feel bad about wanting more. Because the measurement of the Holy Spirit is always on our end, not God's end. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, John 3. And God does not give the Spirit by measure. The only measurement is on our end. How much do you want? You can get. People are like, oh, I want to get close to him. You can. What you going to do? <laughs> the greatest thing about God is this, though. I think it just should be said just as a follow-up. You can't fast on your own. You can't spend time with God on your own. But here's the beautiful thing. Everything that he's ever asked of you, he's given you the power to do. Also, I change your confession. You go, I can't do it. Stop that. 
Stop that can't. Stop the can't stuff. If he said you can, you can. That's the problem. People have been told what they can't do. I free you to do everything that God called you to do. I free you to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I free you from every restriction. I free you from caring what people think about you. Mediocrity usually doesn't like to be exposed. I'm going to close with this. I just want you to lift your hands because I feel like there's a revelatory spirit that God's going to release through this. About 10 years ago, I had this vision, and I, I don't share it very often, but I, I felt I was supposed to share it, and I, I think I, I don't know, really know why. I just The Lord just dropped it in my heart. This is March the 22nd, 2007. I saw a dead body on a stage with young people speaking life into the body, and the Holy Spirit said to me, I will not only do this in the natural, but I'll also do this in the spiritual. The Holy Spirit is calling forth a generation of deadness into life. I am the resurrection and life, and I'm calling this generation that seems so spiritually empty back to life. I'm calling things in this hour that are non-existent to, uh, to be dead in the body of Christ to come alive. Churches, groups that have been spiritually dead and non-existent to come forth. The call should be made clear in this hour. Those who want to be part of what I am doing in this hour must pay clear attention what to the Spirit is saying. For I seek to revive that which was dead to the raising of life. Just as the town took notice when Lazarus rose from the dead, so too will nations take notice when I raise to life that which I want to do in the hour. I saw a stadium filled to capacity with people and the glory of God descending on that place. It seemed clear to me they were not there to meet a man or come to a meeting, but they were there because they heard that if they, if they came and were hungry with God, they would meet with him. As they worship, healings take place all over the crowd. Creative healings, ears growing back into place where there were no ears. Blind eyes that have never seen the light of uh, day are being opened. Muscles growing back into place where they were not muscles. All this happens as the Holy Spirit orchestrates. The worship band is quite simple, but a cloud of his manifest presence is clearly seen over the stage by many, by many over the stage as they worship. The angels hover over the stage as other angels dance to the right and to the left. There's a clear open heaven over the stage where the worship team ministers. At this point, I was reminded what I saw in Jacob's ladder described in, in Genesis 28. A young man stands up to speak to encourage the people to press in to everything that the Holy Spirit is doing around the stadium. He, he also prays and asks God for more of his fire to fall. Fireballs fall from heaven upon the people. As they hit the people, the power of God hits them and bodies fall and shake and weep under the power of God. There's a deep sense of brokenness that hovers over all the people as they are in complete awe of what the Holy Spirit is doing around the stadium. Reporters who are assigned to what is taking place gather at the stadium to report about thousands of people who have come to meet with God. Some try and criticize but are immediately hit with conviction. Others receive calls from their home base asking, uh, asking what exactly is taking place because there are reports of fire over the entire stadium and people just wailing before the Lord as they walk the streets. Other report that people are leaving bars and heading to the stadium to see what the Lord is doing. Now a dead body is brought into the stage and instead of fear and trembling come upon the people, they begin to excite it and begin to declare, live, live. Others hold their Bible in the air and cry out that Jesus would be glorified through the death and resurrection of this person. Now the scene has switched the outside of the stadium and the flow of traffic from the entire city is heading toward this massive stadium. Huge billboard outside the stadium simply declares, God is in the house, 21st day, come any time to meet with God. Now it's evening and the light's on the stadium and another young man is preaching. He appears to be Hispanic. In fact, he's preaching in Spanish. It's being interpreted in English. He's simply declaring the work that Jesus did on the cross. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It just has to be what God is saying. The young Hispanic man be, uh, preaching begins to pray. As he prays, nearly half of those come for the offer of salvation. Now they're on their backs. Many are slithering on the ground, apparently demon-possessed. The young man declares that where sin abound, grace abounds much poor. People run to those who are apparently demon-possessed and declare they must go and bow to the name of Jesus. See now once again switches and 
The crowd is simply standing in worship. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit is very evident as the people worship. A young man introduces the mayor of the city. And although I can't hear which city or nation it is all taking place, the mayor stands up and declares the city to be a refuge and a sanctuary for the Most High God, Jesus Christ. He said earlier that day that he'd been on the phone with other mayors from around the country, and they too are wanting to publicly declare that their cities are a refuge of the Most High God, Jesus Christ. Do you receive this word this afternoon? If you did, why don't you just stand to your feet? Thank you for being patient and hungry. There's um, fireballs just falling all across this room. So I bless you. Just lift your hands. Just I bless you now just to receive the fire of God, whatever God is doing in this room. Increase your power, Holy Spirit. Increase your power all across this room. Release yet another fresh baptism of fire all across this room. Mahashika Hatamaka. And just wherever you are, in whatever sphere of authority that God has given you, I bless you in the name of Jesus to walk out the purpose of God. I bless you as a person of fellowship. I bless you as a one who never fears the devil, but always understands your authority. I declare from this day forward, a new grace is rising up upon the inside of you to live the life that God has called you to live. In the name of Jesus, I break some of you free of condemnation, of guilt. I break you free of performance. I break you free of second-guessing yourself. I break you free of what could have been. I break every word of judgment ever spoken over your life in Jesus' name. I say words of judgment that cause you to think incorrectly. Words of judgment, you'll never be good at that. You'll never prosper in this. You'll never, you're not worth anything. I break your power in Jesus' name. I loose you free. I say you're free in Jesus. You're free to soar like an eagle. You're free to encounter your good Father in heaven. The word of the Lord to you is, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And I'm not counting your trespasses against you, but I brought you into this divine moment to line up with heaven. And you'll march as an army of one across this nation, in little groups, in small groups, across churches. You'll march as one, my beautiful bride. My bride, I see this picture of a beautiful bride, marching across, taking territory, loving the hell out of people and advancing the kingdom of God. And you will rise up in this time. You will stand strong in the power of his might. You will have an excellent spirit like Daniel. You will be a person of intimacy like Daniel. You'll be a person and one who God will reveal secret truths. You will be one who speaks the ways of God. You will be one who comes to, people will come to for understanding in your sphere of influence. You'll be like a Joseph. You'll dream dreams. And some will feel like they'll never come to pass. But yea, the Lord would say, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And your heart is a chamber of heaven. And you will fulfill every good and perfect thing that God has called you to build. Your family will serve the Lord because of your choices. Your children will come home. I break you free from that guilt of thinking you weren't a good parent. And we say the lost are coming home. I bless you with peace. I bless you with shalom in your mind. I say that worry never has you. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I declare as a prophet of the Lord, by this time next year, you'll say, I have never known the Lord like this. I say that you'll burn like never before. 
and God will begin to make the crooked places straight. Just put your hand on your ears. I bless you to hunger and thirst for the word of the Lord like never before. I bless you to hunger and thirst for scripture. I bless every promise of scripture to be yours in the name of Jesus. I declare that if you're in Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. I declare that you're blessed in the city, blessed in the field. I declare that the favor of God is on you. The favor of God surrounds you. The favor of God goes before you. The favor of God causes you to access every place. I free you from trying to make your way in the world. And I say that you're grabbing the hands of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with Him, you can do all things. And I say that the joy of the Lord is your strength. I say, when you feel down, you'll encourage yourself like David did. I say that you are God's encouragement to the nation. I declare that the seed for national transformation is in this room. Father, we commit ourselves to see and to love your people, your world, like you've called us to love. We bless President Obama as he leaves and we bless President Trump as he comes in. May the corporate man rise up like never before. May your apostles and your prophets rise up. And may you be glorified through their life. There was a revelatory spirit being released and now. Some of you will know and hear the voice of God like never before. So I'm just going to close this session with this. Just keep your hands lifted if you would. Tonight we begin at 7.30. I encourage you to come. I know you might be weary, but you've been here however long you've been here that the Lord has something for us tonight. So the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and merciful to you and grant you shalom. Amen. Thank you very much.